your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Welcome to your positive imprint. This is Catherine. Today's episode takes place at my old stomping grounds, the island of Kodiak. The town of Kodiak is on the eastern shore of Kodiak Island, and Kodiak Island is in the south coast of Alaska in the United States. Well, this island is the second largest island in United States. At the end of this episode, I will be giving away prizes. Well, today's featured guest is photographer and organic gardener, Marion Owen. She lives in Kodiak, and I had the privilege of listening and witnessing her positive imprints as we walked about her glorious organic garden on Kodiak Island. Hello, listeners. This is Catherine Praisewater with your positive imprint. And I have to tell you, I came over to the post office over in Kodiak, Alaska, and what was hanging up on the wall were fabulous pictures of puffins. So I've tried for years to get pictures of puffins and I never have. So I thought I would call the gal who had her pictures up and oh my goodness, did she ever have a story to tell. But you know me, I like to hear people's stories. So I am here with Marion Owen and she, uh, the photography, but now I've learned so much about her and I'm anxious for her to tell her story. So Marion, let's start from where you're from. Okay, um, I, I'm from Washington State, Tacoma, which is sort of on the bottom of Puget Sound. And I, we're standing right here, by the way, Catherine, in my garden in Kodiak, Alaska. We are. It's gorgeous. And I will put some pictures up for the listeners. <laughs> and as the listeners listen to you, I'm hoping that the eagle, the, the juvie, the juvenile, will chirp. I don't think chirp is the correct term and the correct word. It's kind of a squeal complaint. Uh, it's, it's sort of a high-pitched squeal that we have to apologize to our bed and breakfast guests if it happens at 2 o'clock in the morning. It just really means, feed me, don't leave me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we like hearing it. It's a great, great call. It is a great call. Yeah, and so what, uh, listeners, we have the ocean on one side, and we have the bed and breakfast building on the other, and we're surrounded by the garden. It is beautiful. I can't wait to tell about it. Marion is going to explain it. Oh, you know, you're even standing on um, green grass lawn, which is all grown organically, every little bit. Everything you see here is enhanced by uh, compost, which we make year-round from kelp and um, even buffalo poop from out the road. Kitchen scraps and kelp and leaves that we rake up in the fall. And it gets um, maybe up to about 140 degrees. And three or four weeks, we've got finished compost, even in Alaska, that we can then spread all over our lawn and our raised beds. We have about 10 raised beds. These are boxes that we grow our food and herbs and flowers in. Do you have books um, out there? I don't have books. Um, I have written a gardening column for 22 years for our local newspaper. And now... Is that online? It is online. It is, the Kodiak Daily Mirror. 
And I'm also now putting together videos to upload to Vimeo, and I'll put them on my blog as well. So um, I did, however, co-author a book, a little bit about gardening, and it was called Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul. And it was, it's part of the Chicken the series, Soup for the Soul yep. series, and it spent three months on the New York Times list. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yep. That is fabulous. Well, I am looking at a fantastic garden. And so, Marion, if you had something to tell, just maybe three great things to tell our listeners about organic gardening, what would they be? One would be is to grow in the form of food what you like to eat. Oh, well, that, that would make a big difference. I mean, it seems a little simple, <laughs> but people like to grow exotics that maybe nobody in the household wants to eat. Try something simple, maybe a handful of things. Talk to other gardeners. And the other thing is there is no such failure in the garden. The worst thing that happens is it goes into the compost pile. It's not a big deal. We learn by experience there, there's no such thing as failure. You just chalk it up to experience. Well, so we're sitting here in Kodiak, and it's quite cold, and you have all these vegetables that you grow out here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I tell us about that and how, why and how you can grow this. I guess, obviously, you have to have something that's going to grow in colder weather. Exactly. Uh, cooler climate, northern climates require a little special attention and one is the changing daylight gets a a little radical in the spring and in the fall when things really start to change however things like kale and swiss chard are, are so sweet because of the cool climate I mean, I wouldn't think of maybe eating fresh kale from Southern California because to me it'd be really tough. But here you can eat it fresh and it just melts in your mouth. Actually, we've had some and it does melt in your mouth and it's kind of amazing. The tomatoes, how red, I mean, absolute red they are. They are are kind of eye-popping red. They are. Now, tomatoes, we can only grow in a greenhouse, but that's okay. There's a lot of things we can grow. Uh, You're looking at some, these are green onions. They look Those like are green onions. Yes, they look like monsters. <laughs> they do look like monsters. <laughs> and then behind that is is broccoli. This is my third crop of broccoli. Behind that, going up the ladder, are uh, snap peas. They're pink and purple blossoms, which I love. Those are absolutely beautiful. They are beautiful. And then this bed here, which is covered with white hoops and uh, tulle fabric that you might find in a wedding to protect them from some pests, are um, radishes and turnips. And then over here, you'll see that there's yellow blossoms. And this is actually mustard greens and so on that I have allowed to go to flower. And these stalks are about taller than you and me uh, because I want to provide some food for the late pollinators, like our wild bumblebees and and the hoverflies and so on. Oh, so, so it's truly organic. It's not truly just, organic. Not just for your body, but also for everything that you're providing for, right, right. Like you say, the, all the different pollinators in the different seasons. Right. So we don't just garden for us. We garden for birds. We garden for other people. We garden for insects. And uh, it's, it's all kind of, it's all inclusive. Absolutely. This is very exciting. So tell me how you got started with that. What made you want to start It's a very good question because when I was growing up in Washington State, the only thing that I had as far as an awareness for growing anything 
was an occasional plum tree and my job in the winter was to tap the base of the bamboo plants to get the snow off of them. And that's really all I knew, and debudding rhododendrons. But there was a time um, 30 years ago when I was working on a tugboat and I was getting tired of going to sea. I was really missing the seasons. That's really what the bottom line was. We were actually tied up here in Kodiak on this tugboat and I had to go to the doctor. And I stood on the railing and I was looking at, we call the beach, I was looking at land and this awareness came to my head. I really don't like doing this anymore. So I had this internal conversation and that was, so Marion, what do you want to do? Two things popped in my mind immediately, clear as day, photography and gardening. Never mind that I just sort of practiced photography while I was working at sea to give somebody an idea back home what it was like to live at sea. And the other thing was gardening and never mind I had never even grown lettuce before. But I did yeah, it. But I did it. I started writing articles for Alaska Magazine and photographing for them. I just went for it. I just went for it. I said, well, let's see, I don't have any dirt. There's not much dirt in Kodiak, Alaska. And our nickname is The Rock because <laughs> it's solid rock, not much topsoil. And so I said, uh, I, need, I need some dirt. Well, I have to make dirt. Well, I could compost. This is pre-internet now. So I went to the library and I looked up the extension service bulletins and they said, it takes five years. I don't have five years to wait. So I did more research and learned there, there was a method of composting that's fairly common now, hot composting, where you add the right combination of ingredients like green stuff and brown stuff. And within a few days, it heats up to maybe 130, 140 degrees. You turn it, it cools down, heats back up again. And the whole cycle in a few weeks, you've got finished compost. I've got dirt. There, yes, you do, and it looks like great soil. I mean, this looks like very, it, lots of nutrients in it. A lot of nutrients, um, you know, kelp from the ocean and so on. And uh, there's a photograph of me wearing this this bunny bunny suit, so to speak. It's in the middle of the winter. I have a pitchfork in my hand, and I'm turning the compost pile, and. I'm wearing a pink scarf, by the way. <laughs> I don't wear pink. And so I'm turning the compost pile, and I have the biggest grin on my face. I'm smiling of because happiness. in the middle of the winter, this compost pile is steaming. Oh and gosh. it worked. I was so happy. I was so happy. Yeah. Well, that's exciting because I will bet that your imprint has been all over this island and people have been trying this. They have been trying this and I share as much as I can. I'd be a, a keynote speaker at garden conferences and I'd say, if, if I can do this in Kodiak, Alaska, you guys can do this in Northern Alabama or Southern California or wherever in the world. Well, it, it truly is beautiful and your, your positive imprint is, it is lifelong. It is part of, I mean, literally, literally, it's part of the earth. It is part of the earth. You're, it's, it's a good way to put it. And yes. I think as we become, as a species, a human species, as we become more concerned about uh, food security, where it comes from, the inputs, GMO, processing, processing etc., I think it's more important as, as the years go on to learn where your food comes from, 
and to be able to grow even a little container of it yourself because that connection feels so special. It's like having money in the bank to grow just even a little bit of your own food or go to a local market and support the farmers, you know, that kind of thing. It really creates a beautiful connection. And so tell me about, and, and it does actually, and I think it's good to be connected in that way because then you almost feel like you are part of the whole system. You are of part. Of today and tomorrow. Yes, and you are part of something that's much bigger than yourself. And you don't feel alone. That's a, that's a very good point. You I don't like feel that. connected. It's so easy to feel alone, even with all the social media around us. To, to go, uh, do I matter? Is anybody out there? Um, is what I'm doing, does it help other people? So you go to a farmer's market, you talk to one of the producers, boom, connection. You plant an extra row of vegetables, you give it to a food bank or a neighbor in need, boom, another connection. So have you started any type of community outreach here with regard to your gardening? In a number of ways. Uh, one thing I did a number of years ago was I created a Veggies at Work program, which anybody can do. You approach a business and say, if you will purchase the materials to have a raised bed or a box next to your building, I will plant it with vegetables. If you tend the vegetables, I will harvest them and take them to the food bank. Oh, wow. So everybody is a win-win here for Veggies at Work. So the people who work in the office building get a little break from their desk. They can go outside and weed or water or whatever they need, the vegetables need. And then the food bank and the people in need benefit because they're getting vegetables from within the community. And so everybody is working together. Right. More connections. More of an imprint. More of an imprint. And the imprints are important because we don't, a lot of times we, and I know you feel this way after talking to you, a lot of times we as just, as just humanity in general, we see today as that, today. Mm -hmm. What -hmm. are we doing to just get through today? And we forget about the tomorrows and the many tomorrows that are yet to come. Right. So. And if you just do the best you can for that day, you're doing okay. Oh, you're doing great. And so here. I call it, I call it my bean theory. If, okay, if, let's if, hear the bean theory. The bean theory is if, if all you have in your cupboard for dinner is a can of beans, you know what? That's the best you can do. Don't compare yourself. That's the best you can do. Wow, that, that's very inspirational, and that was perfect because we're, the, I don't know if you heard the, the birds. We've got the, we've got the gulls over yeah, here. Okay. There's, there's, um, they were singing with you as you were <laughs> very poetic there. <laughs> <laughs> the kittiwakes, which are a, a small gull, and I can see them. They're like little salt and pepper dots on the ocean here. And they're getting ready to leave for the winter and spend their whole winter, like puffins, in the middle of the ocean. Is, really, is that where they go? That's where they go. So puffins um, spend a good seven months a year or eight months a year at sea. They are more comfortable as a bird. They're more comfortable actually being on the water and swimming underwater than they are swimming in the air, as in flying in the air. Um, because they flap their wings very rapidly, 400 beats a minute. But if they stop flapping their wings like a bumblebee, they fall to the earth. So it's a pretty 
frantic sort of flight, but they, they take on those beautiful colors you see on their beaks um, just for the dating game. It's all about, you know, mating and come to land and you, have, you lay a single egg and you raise a chick. Everybody's all done around late August. You can almost mark your calendar around the 5th of September. They all leave at the same time. And have you seen that? I haven't. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've lived in Kodiak since 1984, and I photographed puffins for probably 15-plus years. We have two kinds of puffins here, by the way. There's only three species of puffins in the world, and we have two here in Alaska, the horned puffin and the tufted puffin. Sea parrots, some people call them. I have never, ever seen them the migrate. The great, the great exodus. <laughs> yeah. I think they do it under the cover of darkness. It's actually pretty rare to even see a chick. Yeah. Well, so that brings us to your photography, because now you're talking about puffins. But I want to hear a little bit more about the puffins. You know so much, and that's fantastic that you don't just photograph them, but you learn about them. You learn so about them, tell yeah. me a little bit more about them and their, their life on the cliffs. And They live, yeah, they're amazing birds, because when they come back in April-ish, they have to do a bit of spring cleaning. So they dig out their tunnel, their burrow, with their beaks and their feet. And then that's when they lay their single egg. And then they spend the summer raising the chick. Now I can't tell the difference between a male and female puffin, so I'll just say they. And they um, um, harvest little fish like this, about you know, three inches long or so. And they can grab, underwater, they can grab a fish in their beak, swim, open their beak again, grab another fish without losing the first one. And that's because they have this amazing serrated beak that lets them hang on to one while they open up and grab another. It's incredible. Oh, that is very I awesome. couldn't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then they take it up to the chicks. Then they take it up to the or chick, chick or chick, chick, lay. right. And then they, they feed them and they do that for several months and then they all leave at the same time. So the chick will go with them with this exodus. This exodus to the middle of the Gulf of Alaska, and you go, oh my word, that seems so extreme, which it kind of is. I, I'm here to tell you that you can get 30 and 40 and 50 foot seas in the middle of the Gulf of Alaska in the winter, but they just bob up and down and dive and get more fish, and they're fine with that. So they just live out there? They just live out there. And Wow. Have you been out there at all to see them on the... Oh, so I, I know you haven't seen the exodus from Kodiak, but have you seen where they all I ha they don't all they're kind of sprinkled everywhere oh, okay but I have seen um, uh, the winter puffins and they're a pretty dull brown bird oh so they the colors that we see when they're here when they're exactly oh so they it's like a sheath over their beak and that sheath not the whole beak but just the sheath sloughs off so it's like taking off a beautiful scarf that you might be out on a date. And you take off the scarf, and you're just wearing a black dress. That is very interesting. See, and I've always liked the puffin, but I guess I really didn't read enough about them. So I'm truly glad that I'm learning this. Oh, it's and, and I've been able to photograph in late August the actual changing of the beak. You can actually see it, sort of an unzipping of, of that sheath. And then the white parts of their head start turning salt and pepper. So they're starting to shift and morph already. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's, and it's, it's another lesson for me because we think, humans think in terms of time so much. 
you know, you turn the oven on to 350, you put your muffins in for 25 minutes, done. We're so time oriented. And with nature, there's no stopping and starting. It's just a continual flow. And the more that we as humans realize that we too are a continual flow, we don't start and stop with living or dying or anything, the more we can kind of relax into the moment and just live that moment the best we can. I'm, I'm loving talking to you. I can't <laughs> wait to do another podcast with you as you progress with your garden through the year and, and or come up with new experiences mm-hmm. and new community outreach. So you have a boat that you take people on to teach them your photo well not your photography skills but the skills that you have you share with them to so they can go out and enjoy having their camera and maybe get some pictures that they want to hang tell us about that we have a boat um it's called the sea breeze and our our business is called galley gourmet and for 15 years we did uh three and a half hour dinner cruises which is really a wildlife viewing and gourmet meal um and we just now are shifting to just the wildlife viewing in the day. So we go out and just these nearby islands, you can see them right here. They're like little barrier islands and there's so much to see. And people are ecstatic about seeing rafts of sea otters and puffins and eagles and occasionally whales. And so to help people bring home the best memory, the best experience is I like to help people take pictures of these things, which is a little different from maybe your dog sitting in the yard or your child on a swing set, because it's all, there's all kinds of other things in motion. The boat, the ocean a little bit, the, and the animals themselves. So it's like a sporting event. You just have to know your sport, baseball, football, soccer, and then you just kind of understand what's going to happen next. So not only is it a photography workshop, it's a little bit of Oh, this is how the animal moves and see that little see that little shrugging of the shoulders on the puffin? That means it's going to take off. So those little things, it's like being in traffic. You know when somebody's coming on the on-ramp, you know what to expect. Oh, you put a very different perspective on it, and I would <laughs> like to take this class. <laughs> I love photography, and I would, oh, there goes, oh, no, never mind. I saw the white. I thought, oh, there goes mom or dad, eagle, but it was a seagull. Well, we can hear the mom and dad, I can, in the background here. So they're, they're kind of talking. Maybe it's almost dinner time or something. Yeah. Oh, so we, we still might get to hear them. We saw them. I was over on the other side of your house. So I saw the juvie, the juvenile mm-hmm. um, up in the tree and just waiting. They're amazing because the chicks will hatch in midsummer. They have to grow very fast. They have to catch up, and they'll be the same size as mom and dad. Thing is, is they have to grow up fast, learn how to fly and eat and forage for themselves to a great degree because winter is around the corner. You can see um, the salmonberry green leaves are starting to turn bronze and the willow branches are turning yellow. The fireweed, the, 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 the flowers are gone. You just have little tufts left. That's our little thermometer of when winter's coming. Uh, and what? you asked earlier if any fireweed was still out over yeah, so Anton Larson. No. Okay. It it was gone. Yep. All gone. Mm-hmm. But the sea otter was it was there, and there were, I think, ten eagles. 
great eagles. Yeah. So it was great to watch them. We needed you to be out there photograph or photographing them. Well, one of my, you know, it reminds me, one of my favorite ways to go out and take pictures is just to pack my gear and go somewhere just to see what I'm going to see and not have an agenda. I think when I have too much of an agenda and I've got kind of blinders on my eyes, if I have too much of an agenda or expectation, I should say, then I'm not open to what I might be gifted. Now, I like that too. That's great because sometimes when we go to find something to photograph and it doesn't turn out the way we want, we You're disappointed. Yes. You're disappointed. There's a failure. What did I do wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And so... Oh, so repeat what you just said, just so I can get it in my head. Repeat so that. You don't have to have any kind of expectation when you go out to photograph. Just be available to the gifts that will be shown to you. I love that. Thank you. I really love that. And that's being vulnerable. That's having an open heart and also accepting that maybe you don't photograph anything. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay because you've gone out, you've experienced it, you've gone for a walk, you're out in nature. It's all right if you don't have a little medal of a photograph. It's okay. And sometimes the experience is far greater than what it would have been if you were sitting there looking through the lens the whole time. You right. see it through a different type of lens. A different type of lens. Exactly. A different filter. Um, the, the best writers, they'll tell you to use all your senses when you write. We're so visual. We forget about hearing and smelling and even tasting and, and all of that and just touch. So have all of those. You maybe check in. When you go for a walk, check in. Let's see. How does that feel? How does that smell? Not just your sight. Yeah. What a positive imprint. I really <laughs> love talking to you. And I have to tell the listeners that when I was in town, I was asked, you know, this is a small town. And I asked people, oh, you know, have you heard of Marion Owen? And, oh, of course. And they talked about the <laughs> boat, the dinner. Although I would like to hear about the dinner. Do you use some of your... All the time. So every night during our dinner cruises, the 15 years, I would cook something different. And we do 90 to 100 dinner cruises in a summer. And we have short summers. And how so many almost on a, every how many night. Are on the cruise? Six. Oh, co oh so good. Just so six. It's cozy. It's, it's cozy. It's, it's very intimate and cozy. Yes. And you never know what you're going to see or anything. But every night was a different dinner menu based on what the garden was producing. If the crest was really great, I might cook a salad of, or prepare a salad of just cress and chopped apples and a little feta cheese and maybe a little lime juice. But I would be um, accenting what's happening in the garden with what I put on the plate. You have a lot here. So just, I'm gonna take a picture of it, but can you just, I'm really curious, cause there's so many, there's green and there's different colors. I'm seeing purples and mm -hmm. yellows. Can you tell me about this? And I will post a picture. Sure. What um, is it that we're seeing? Right here is, is a corner bed and we have the, the last uh, bits, so to speak, of the blue poppies, the Himalayan blue poppies. And I can share a picture of that because it's in July. And then these are dwarf rhododendrons. We have uh, yellow poppies that are still blooming. And I, I let those go again for the bumblebees. And, um, and that's a traditional, the stalks you see there that are kind of brown and fuzzy right. on the top. That's the more traditional blue or Tibetan Himalayan poppy. Yeah. So there's nothing edible in here per se, but this is just a landscape kind of bed, which... It's beautiful. It's fun to do. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
the daisies are sort of done. And so here we are in another part of the garden and these are school bus yellow flowers. And I come out here in the morning and in the evening to check for bumblebees that might have gotten stranded because bumblebees, while they can thrive in cool climates, if the temperature gets cold enough where they can't move and fly to safety for the night, or if there's a rainstorm coming, they have to hide underneath these flowers. So I come out in the early morning and the evening looking for them. And the, the nice thing about bumblebees, because they can survive in cool climates, the tricky thing is their flight muscles have to be 86 degrees Fahrenheit before they can fly. You think, well, wait a minute, Marion, it's 45 degrees out here. How do they do that? And that's the special method they have of shivering. They have this internal shivering process, just like we shiver when we're cold. And they're able to kind of buzz up their, their temperature, their flight muscles, and then they can take off. Oh, so by when you come out here and you, because I saw you shaking that earlier, how does that help, how does that help their heat? Well, what I do sometimes is I'll look for them underneath a flower, and I find one that's kind of stranded, and I go, it's going to get even colder. I will actually breathe on them. I will exhale a warm breath on them, and they kind of start moving around a little bit, and then they might be able to buzz a little and then take off. Oh, so they'll get the warmth enough so then they can get to They can maybe kind of wake shelter. up protective shelter. I know it sounds a little silly, but it's not it silly. works. And, and I do this in the spring. When they first emerge out of their burrows after being underground or in a protected area all winter, the first bees that emerge in, in our climate in April are the bees that have survived the winter. The big ones are queens. They're the one queen that survived from the whole brood and they will be the survivor for that whole particular nest are just the queen bees. And they emerge in the spring. They haven't eaten much and there they are looking for food. Interesting. Well, I wouldn't say it's silly at all. You're helping a species. <laughs> you're you're throwing in your positive imprint. I mean, it is for tomorrow, right? It, yeah, it is. It is. What is that, a crow? Oh, it's a crow, and they're, they're talking to each other. Sometimes they kind of hold court. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do with that. You know, and there's another little lesson in gardening. If if you have a garden and you are you are working hard to reach, a like, a peak of perfection then you've kind of missed the process. Again, it just flows. There's no stop and start. It just flows. It just over, Everything overlaps. Yep. Yeah. So here's a, a hard question for you, one that takes reflection. So you're quite humble with your life, but you're sharing it in ways that you don't, I mean, obviously you don't really realize the imprint you're making. So what do you think has been your greatest imprint and I know that's hard to answer when you don't really look at your life as as an imprint you're just looking at it as well I just like to go out and help the people and do things so um it's a hard question no uh, it is a hard question but um it's something that you know almost makes me cry to think about it but um if what I can share let's say gardening is that I'm not the grower. 
I am just the cheerleader. There is something bigger than me, whatever you want to call it, him or her, God, spirit, nature, whatever you want to call it. I, I couldn't create broccoli, but I can be a cheerleader to nurture it the best I can. And so if I can instill that on somebody else to realize that, you know, we're just, we're just here on the planet for a short time, do our best, listen within as much as we can, and let the plants talk to us. Let the sea otters talk to us. Let's get out of our boxes and realize that there's more happening than I realize. I just have to empty out my cup and then fill it with what really matters. Well, that's a great way to end this. This has been remarkable. And so now she's going to take me into her photography gallery, her photo gallery, which is absolutely gorgeous. Okay, let's go. We will. So thank you. And again, my pleasure. Everything that matters is truly what we make of it. That's right. So your positive imprint, what's your PI? Yourpositiveimprint.com. Thank you again. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Marion, and thank you so much for donating the three prizes, the three calendars. These calendars are going to three winners somewhere in the world, and they are calendars that have Marion's photographs, some tasty recipes, and some fabulous upbeat quotations. The winners of the calendars are Dagmar from Brazil, Mark from Albuquerque, and Mike from New Mexico. I also have a hat to give away. It is an Alaska Emerald Isle Kodiak hat that I picked up from the absolute wonderful Kodiak Visitor Center, where Poncho and Amy greeted me with wonderful smiles and information, as they do for all tourists. And the winner of the hat goes to Leticia. Thank you for listening to Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Music by Chris Knoll. Head over to my website where you can learn more about Marion Owen, yourpositiveimprint.com. And please leave a positive review, and don't forget to hit that positive button. Subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe now.